So as we continue on today in, in the book of Acts, you know, um, we're looking at Acts 10, and it's one that I titled Turning Points in Christianity. And this picture was, uh, you know, the, the conversion of Saul, and as he um, becomes known to God, and where he knows he's known by God, but as he knows God, right? And this is one of those turning points, and along with Acts 10, as it shifts from Jerusalem, from the Jewish population nation, to coming to know that the word and Gentiles and people outside of the Jewish nation come to know God. And so today in, in this <clears throat> message, we're going to look at just two big things and one small thing, right? The first is just a idea that, you know, when, when we look into this is justified by faith, this idea of being justified by faith alone. And this perspective shift for the church, it's a perspective shift as they see that this gospel goes from the Jewish nation and it goes, expands outwards. And lastly, this, we're going to see this in light of this God's greater plan, this big picture that he's opened and kind of shared about throughout history, but now that they get to understand it and see it. So we're going to just jump in with the first point, justified by faith, not by works, but through Jesus, not by works, but through Jesus. Okay. We're going to read Acts 10 onwards. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms uh, generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he started, he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your elms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is <clears throat> called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who, who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Right, what's interesting and what's and that stands out to me in, in this man is that this man is described, this Cornelius, this centurion, he's in charge of the army, right? Hundred men. He was described as a devout man who feared God with all his household. Right? He gave generously to people and he prayed to God continually. Right? And in, in this man, as he has a vision, he calls together two of his servants and another devout soldier with him. Right, to send them off as a delegation to go to Peter. And this vision, it, it, it really speaks of, you know, as, as we continue on, of how God is moving in this time, moving and, and get, grab, kind of drawing people to him, revealing himself. Right? As he calls us, this man that's not a believer, not, a, not <clears throat> Jewish um, by heritage, goes and encounters God, and he immediately responds and tells his people, hey, go and follow through with this vision. Right? It goes on later on in verse 22. It goes, Cornelius, a centurion, this is his, his, those two servants and a soldier describing him, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, this is to Peter, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. All right, I find this so interesting as, as the way that this man is described. 
He's this well-spoken by the Jewish nation, a Roman citizen, right? A centurion that's spoken well by the Jewish people. And that's usually uncommon. It's usually the Roman law, the Roman people kind of taking advantage of all those around them. They're supposed to do, everyone else is supposed to do what the, the kind of the soldiers and the Roman citizens are saying to them, especially a soldier. But yet he's regarded highly. He's well-spoken. And not only that is he kind of well-spoken among the Jewish people, what we catch a glimpse of this is that at the very, it goes on and says that when Peter arrives, Cornelius was expecting him and he called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. Right. <clears throat> this man, Cornelius, I want to bring up a few things that really stood out to me and I've been mentioning. He was a devout man. Right, he was a devout man. He feared the Lord. Right, he had this reverence for the Lord, it says. And not only himself, but all those around him in his household. Right, so you can see that it's not just his own kind of beliefs, but how he lived his life, where it impacted especially those in his household. Not only that, he, he was a man that gave generously, prayed continually, and as he encountered God, he responded immediately, right? You see, as he had that vision, he responds and he sends his two servants and a soldier. And last two, he was trusted by his close friends and family, right? That as he in, shared with his friends and family about this vision, they, they listened, they came, they went to check it out with them, right? And lastly, <clears throat> he was respected by the local community, the Jewish nation, those around him, saw him and held him as high regard. Now, what's interesting is this man was not Jewish, is not a, a follower of Christ, but yet at the same time, he was devout, feared the Lord. He was living this life. He was living this, I would say, a good life. And sometimes when we look around in our life, lifetime and our encounters with relationship with people, we realize that, you know, sometimes we meet people that are not believers that live out their lives perhaps more in respect to God than, than Christians do. And it brings to this thought to me as I've been thinking is how God in this story, in this chapter, draws him to. Opens up Cornelius' eyes, allows him to encounter this vision, sends an angel to him, and later on that his whole household believes. Right? And this reminds me as I've been thinking more and more and praying, that is not just about our works. It's not just about someone's work, someone's how they live their lives, but really the idea of coming at the faith through Jesus. You know, he could have just let this man be, saw a vision and this man converted and that would be it. But instead he lets him encounter Peter, hears the gospel and transforms his life. Not just his, but his household. More and more, as I think about Christmas, I'm thinking about Hank spending time with my, my mom. And many of you guys know you have been joining me and praying for my father in all these years, but I invite you continually to join me in my praying for my mom. I, mem I remember my mom <clears throat> as a kid, we would get these letters, right? Um, let me see if it comes through. There we go. <clears throat> these letters. And, you know, you, you get these letters uh, about you know, different supporting things people would need. And I remember getting it when I was young and I, I would open the mail and I'm just like, mom, why are we getting these? And she was like, oh, I've been giving to them. 
And I was just thinking to him, I was like, why, why are you giving to them? And this is when we were, you know, I'm a family, we're not believers. And we're, she was just like, oh, you know, there's always people in need and we should always think of ourselves as being very fortunate. And I was just thinking at that time, man, there's things that we don't have, things that I want that I can't do and I can't have. But yet my mom is like being generous and she's not only that teaching me, hey, you need to think about this. You need to consider this. And the ways that she has always shown to be a person that is <clears throat> believes in doing good, believes in kind of respecting others, the more and more this chapter and this reminds me of how much she needs Jesus. That is not just what she's doing, because that's what she believes, is if I do good, good will happen. But rather, what we see in our lives and all around us is that that's not true. You could do good and evil things happen. You could do evil and good things happen, right? That it is not about how we work and earn our way to have this relationship with God, but rather that it is a relationship with God that he gives us as he reveals himself, that he shows that it is not just working and doing these good things, but rather this relationship, this understanding that we have with God. And that when Peter reveals that, when he gives that, message to Cornelius, his whole family is transformed. And that is one that I continually pray for, for my family, my brother, my, my brother's family, my mom. Because it says here in Acts 10, it goes on that as Peter shares with them the good news, as he continues and he gives the good news to them about Jesus, about his death, his resurrection. It says, while Peter was still saying these things to Cornelius and his family, the Holy Spirit fell on them, fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, there's people that were with Peter as they visited Cornelius, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked them to remain for some days. I find that amazing is that when he sees that, as they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then he stays there remaining a few days most likely teaching them, allowing them to connect those dots, seeing things. And this is what, throughout this time, especially as we think about Christmas and the coming of Christ, is a reminder of just how we are before God. Not the earned, not justified by works, but because the Holy Spirit gifts them, because God has gifted his son, that we have this relationship. Right, Paul writes about this in Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Is we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is a continued reminder. I think as we grow in, in our faith with God, it is natural to have the Holy Spirit work in our lives, the desire to do the, the things of God, to join him in his works. 
But it is something that we always have to be reminded of, that it is not because of how good we are that we are before God, but rather we are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because if it were by works of the law, no one would be justified. The story of this, of this court of Cornelius is a constant reminder that it's not just all the good that he did that God sees him, but rather that God sees him and he sends his son, that sends Peter to him to reveal and understand his son. Right? So that they may be justified by Christ and not through this laws and these religious things that they have to do. And that is something that often that is a reminder for us because we can easily turn and, and kind of be reminded to just, oh, do all these things, do this, do that. But rather it is our relationship with Christ that transforms our life. Secondly, this perspective shift for the church. So that's from Cornelius' side, but you see for Peter, what happens is that Cornelius gets this vision, sends his people to, to get Peter to come down and to see them. But then as Peter does this, there's a whole perspective shift for the church, right? And for him to hold on to this truth, to reveal this, to, to show it to the church of what God has been doing and what God is doing right now. In Acts 10, in the middle parts, verses 9 onwards, it says the next day, this is when they had the vision, and he sends his, uh, <coughs> Cornelius sends his uh, servants and the soldier to him. As they were on their journey approaching the city, the timing is perfect, right? Peter went up on the, house, <coughs> on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted to eat something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open up open and something like a great sheet descending, bring, <clears throat> being let down by its four corners upon, upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as, what to do, what, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Right? Peter has this vision of, of reptiles, of things that for a Jewish person, it is something that they are told not to eat, not to take partake of. And he himself says, I have not done this. I have not eaten from, from any of these un, uh, unclean animals. But it's God that says to him, what God has made clean, let it be. You know, that's, that's not common, right? As, as he says all these things, when God speaks to him and reveals to him that these are not unclean animals, that he then comes to slowly understand and it continues on to the story that, that he is sent to them, to Cornelius, right? He sees these three messengers. He starts to understand. And then this is what we have read earlier, right? that he speaks to them, shares the gospel of Cornelius' family, and comes to this realization as the Holy Spirit descends upon the Gentiles that surely no one can stand in the way 
of their being baptized with water, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Right? He sees this. He understands it. He understands this vision. And then he, he now baptizes Cornelius and his family. Now, what's interesting is Acts 11, the chapter afterwards, is what he has to go through, what Peter has to go through to defend what he just did. Now, <clears throat> to give you a little background, for, for Jews, they, it is not something, it's not even, it is not common to go to a Gentile's house, right? Especially someone like Peter, the, a religious leader, to go and visit someone that's not a Jew. And for him to do that and to then do what he did, people around him were asking questions. Why are you doing this? And this is what happens in Acts 11. Acts 11, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. He goes through, tells them about the vision, tells them what he went through and what he experienced, what he saw over there. But, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited as we continue on as a side note of just the Acts series. We're going to talk about many things. We're going to talk about disagreements within believers, disagreements and diversity of theology and understanding in the early church, right? And this is part, all part of this, this uncircumcised party, right? This is, you can see the spread in theology, and we're going to go into that later in another time as we go but you see that Peter is encountered by people that says, why did you do this? Why did you go there? Right? You went to these uncircumcised men and ate with them. And Peter has to explain himself to them. He goes through all the encounter and he ends with this. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit, he kind of reminds them and kind of gives them a recap, fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord's, how he said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, this story is is amazing because you see this whole transformation, right? The church is now shifting its understanding that no, God is leading the Gentiles. God is drawing the Gentiles to him, giving them a life, granting them repentance that leads to life. You see the story and you just think, man, this is awesome. The church is starting to shift. They understand these things. But I want to say it's not that easy, right? The, The more that I'm, as a parent, I realize these are some of our pictures from last year. These, these two brothers, they love each other, but they also fight with each other all the time. Right, so we capture, I've captured these pictures and I was like, oh man, they really look like they enjoy spending time with each other. And I think they do, they love it. But suddenly out of nowhere, someone strikes the other person with a sword or, you know, with a play sword or something else. And then they start fighting. They said, this is mine, that's yours. And, you know, but it is hard to kind of teach them, hey, let's be fir- like firm, let's be fair. Not, not everything is equal. I wish that one time it would be just like, they, they, they look at me and they're like, oh, I understand. I got it. And then I wish that could be it. If they could just be like, man, I understand. I got it. But no, another day, another five minutes go by. And then suddenly out of nowhere, something happens again. 
right? But I know that they love each other. I know that there's, it's there. Well, that's, it's something that, you know, that I have to constantly remind them, hey, you have to understand what you're doing. Make sure you, not to attack, not to hit. And then they understand and they, they say they love each other. They're, they're, <clears throat> they're choosing not to fight. All this other stuff that I get to hear from them. But I realize more and more, I wish it was sometimes a one-time thing. And likewise, in the church, understanding and even how God reveals and opens up new doors, of, for even for the, especially for the Jewish nation at that time, the rabbis, that the Gentiles and people would come to know God, that it is not a one-time thing. It is not something that sometimes I wish even in any theology that we get and we're like, oh, that's it. But it is something that when we practice, when we live out, that it is hard. It is hard to actually to love one another, to have that being what draws us together, to know that Christ is the, our bond, right? That we are before God all equal. I bring that up because it's interesting. It's interesting in Galatians 2 <clears throat> when Paul approaches Peter, right? Peter is at there at Antioch and Paul's writing this. He's writing this to Galatians. He says, I opposed him, Peter, to his face because he stood condemned. This is after Peter has this encounter in Acts 10 of this vision. And the people, the, the leaders are saying, okay, this is the Gentiles have been granted repentance to life, right? And it says right here, for the, before certain men <clears throat> came from James, this is <clears throat> from Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is interesting for me as I've been, <clears throat> as, as we encounter this, is that Peter, he has this great encounter, this amazing encounter, this vision. He sees <clears throat> how God has transformed, not even his, just his vision, his encounters of what he's, God has spoken to him, of what he sees for Cornelius. But after all that, he returns back and he still fears that there's a fear of the circumcision party. It drives me to think that so much, sometimes, <clears throat> no matter how much we know, it has to be balanced by how we live and what we practice. That it can't be driven by fear. You see, what he did was, Peter, is that he knew what God has shown him. He experienced it. He saw that encounter with Cornelius. He spoke boldly to the parties, to the circumcision party before. They all agreed that this is what is to be done. But then it goes on, and this is why I'm, <clears throat> why I'm excited for the upcoming, as we continue Acts, of this theological diversity in the early church is that there's going to be different beliefs of what that means and how that's carried out. But even then, Peter succumbs and falls into fear of this group. And in doing so, separates himself from what he knows is to be true. I think it might not be so different sometimes, at least for me, remembering my time working in sciences, that it could be easily, I could easily be swayed by someone that's saying, oh, what, how can you believe in God? There's no way. 
There's no way that there could be a God. And I was working and, <clears throat> and they were saying, well, how can you not believe in X, Y, Z? And that we would have these conversations. But sometimes when you encounter certain people, you're just realizing, oh, wait, they're just going to really beat me down and just kind of, <laughs> this is how it has to be. And it could be from both conservative Christians and also from those in science, at least <clears throat> in my experience, that don't believe in God at all. And that that could lead us into our fear, into how we live our lives, what we do, how we share. But I think this perspective shift for the church to understand how God is opening up the doors to the Gentiles is also a reminder for us, is how much are we living out our faith? How much are we approaching people, not with prejudice of who God would save, who God would speak to, but rather that we understand that before God, we are all the same. And in doing so, how would that change how we live our lives, who we're with? Not thinking, what would X, Y, this person think of me, but rather because I know and hold on to this truth, I will live with this grace and extend it to others. That was the huge perspective shift for the church, for the early church. As it moved away, as we look in Acts, as it goes on from this point forward, moves away from Jerusalem to, the, to Paul's missionary journeys to all around as a spread of the ends of the earth to them. This is this idea that it spreads and people are gathered and invited into this family of God. And that is a challenge that doesn't end now. Then, and doesn't end now in ways that what does it look like to invite people into our lives, into, the, into understanding, knowing who God is, and not to add division or add walls for people, but rather extend grace and to share the good news. Because that was one of the turning points as it shifts. And I wonder for us, as we think about what, prejudice that we have in our lives, what are the turning points to shift in our lives of how the gospel will spread? Lastly, this was all part of God's greater plan being revealed. You see glimpses of this throughout the Bible, and I just want to share a few verses of this because it, it, it gives you the richness of what God is, has been doing and continues to do. Even it starts with Genesis 12. Verses three, as he gives this covenant to Abraham, he says this, he says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Continues on in Psalm. And this, I'm just cherry picking some of these verses. There's many more of just how God's greater plan has always included the Gentiles and how it spread. Psalm 22, verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. Isaiah 56, verses six to seven, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted <clears throat> on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Right? 
it, it goes onwards, even as we go into New Testament, how Paul speaks of this in Romans 9. This is, Paul writes, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but from also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, so another cross-reference, those who were not my people, I will call my people was not beloved, I will call beloved. And the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. You know, I think this is amazing as you take a step back and you see this grand narrative of how God speaks and how he reveals his plan to people. And sometimes it, for us, we're so fortunate to see this, to have the Old Testament and new and to see all this And to see the bigger picture revealed and unfolded before us. Because it encourages me and it it reminds me in the season of Advent. Right? The season of Advent as we're talking about waiting for God, for the King to arrive, for the second coming. As we celebrate Jesus' birth. This, This whole premise is waiting for the King. This whole time that we're thinking about celebrating Christmas that it reminds me that his plan has been set in motion long ago, that it's being revealed. And part of this is us searching and understanding scripture. Part of it for us in our personal lives is waiting and understanding that he has a plan for you and for me. That this plan is being revealed and it's purposed. It's not random, that it's very specific. It gives me great comfort in knowing that even when things are going the ups and downs in life to know that God is in control, he has a plan that as he reveals it through time, as he, as his turning points in Christianity, that there are also turning points in our lives that he reveals himself, that he calls us. And that as he, as we see that, that we have choices and we can respond to him. And I realize that these turning points are not just what we see for Christianity, but also a reminder for each one of us. You know, for those who <clears throat> grew up in the church, you know, this message, especially for stepping stone, I, I remember myself coming in, not a believer, but those around me, having gone to church, having grew up in a church. But it's a reminder that when we think about justified by faith, that it is not our parents' faith alone. It is not because we grew up in a Christian family that we start coming and we start doing, but rather it is your faith. It is your relationship. How is God speaking to you? How is he drawing you to him? That it is not just by our works and doing good things and following, coming to service. No. What is it? How does your relationship with God look like today? This perspective shift for the church still continues of what prejudice and what are things that we hold on to perhaps today that we see that this is what's acceptable within the church and what is not. And some are clearly spoken about in scripture. But some perhaps through a culture, through what we've been taught, even what we've been raised that perhaps deep down that there might be some barriers that we hold up, that we're not inviting in, in ways that Christ is. 
And lastly, especially for Christmas and as we celebrate the birth of Christ, it's a reminder that God has a plan. And what that looks like of waiting and having him reveal it to us is one that I pray and I hope that encourages you as you continue on. That I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that God is in control. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and let's join me in prayer. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you sent your son. That, Lord, that it is not about how we live, but it's about how you lived. That you have given us new life. That you you have made us new. That you've given us your son to reconcile us with you. So I pray, Lord, that as we celebrate this Christmas, Remind us, Lord, in our hearts, in our walks with you, of what it looks like it means to celebrate you, Lord. Not just the presence, the good times with our family, but Lord, celebrate you, Lord, for coming, for dying on that cross so that we can be reconciled. Help us to celebrate our relationship with you. As we enter into this new year, Lord, and next year, help us to be reminded of what that means and what that could look like. Draw us to you the way that you drew Cornelius, the way that you spoke to him. Help us respond. Help us to respond the way that he did, Lord, urgently, immediately, Lord, to the things that you are speaking. That we would be eagerly waiting and receiving of your word in our lives. So, Lord, help us, Lord. Give us the endurance. Give us the strength, Lord. Give us the humility and the love to wait patiently and lovingly for your plan to unfold. And we thank you, Lord. And we lift up this time to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.